Hey everyone, welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. We are so honored that you would take a few minutes and you would join us, even if it's through an app on your phone right now. We're just honored that you would spend the time with us. And I want to encourage you, if you want to spend time with us in person, we would love to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 197 Imperial Boulevard in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We would love to meet you. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to serve you. So make plans to join us. But right now, I hope that you enjoy this message and we hope that it encourages you and it blesses you today. Today we're going to finish up our series uh, that we started last week, and I hope that you are learning some really practical things about hearing the voice of God, because we we hear people all the time say, well, God told me this, and you're like, really? He's talking to you. Okay, we'll see. And so you might hear some whack things, and uh, and make no mistake about it, God does speak. We kind of answered that question last week, right? Like, God does speak. In fact, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it starts off, it says, long ago. God spoke many times and in many different ways to our ancestors through the prophet. He keeps going. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. All right. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. And so uh, in the Old Testament, God spoke in a lot of different ways. All right. He, he used a donkey to speak. He literally a hand writing on the wall uh, in the book of Daniel, the hand appeared and wrote on the actual wall. Can you imagine if this happened right now, by the way? Y'all be gone. Y'all would nobody be coming back. It'd be weird, right? God spoke through a donkey. He spoke through illness. He spoke through all kinds of different ways. Well, then Jesus comes along and Jesus kind of focused how God speaks. Okay. So God still speaks in different ways, but it's all filtered through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of scripture. So that's why we talked about last week, God's primary language is scripture. Okay, if God is speaking to you and it doesn't line up with the word of God, it is not God speaking to you because God cannot contradict himself. It's impossible. It's not in his nature. He cannot contradict himself. So if you if God's speaking to you and it doesn't line up with scripture, it doesn't line up with Jesus. It's not from God. That's not God speaking to you because everything is bounced off scripture and filtered through scripture and the Bible. In fact, the Bible tells us this, all scripture is inspired by God. And it's not, it's not only inspired, it's actually useful to us. So if you want to have a great marriage, if you want to be a great parent, if you want to be a great leader, if you want to be great in any area of your life, or if you want to to do the best you can, it all happens through scripture because it says this in verse 17, it says, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So every good thing that God has for you to do, like having a good marriage, being a good parent to your kids, uh, not yelling at your kids when they do something, right? Like we want to be good. The Bible helps equip us for that. And the word inspires that it's used in the previous verse right here, it actually means the literal breath expelled out of God's lungs. It's his breath. When, when you take in scripture, you're not just reading words, you're, you're breathing in the very life of God. You're breathing in the breath of God. That's his words 
on the page. And so everything, all the other languages are filtered through scripture. It's filtered through Jesus. All right. So that was the first thing we talked about last week. I just want to recap real quick. The second one, we talked about the language of desires. Okay. And uh, remember we talked like, Oh, some of people's desires are not very good. Sometimes my desires are not very good. Is it? We all live this out at Thanksgiving, right? Like I desire a fifth plate of food. You know, that's not good. Uh, I did not get five plates. All right. I didn't even finish my first plates, but then I just picked and ate like a cow, you know, just grazing everywhere. You know, that's not a good desire, right? And so what is, what do you mean? God speaks through desires. Well, the Bible says, take delight in the Lord and he'll actually give you the desires of your heart. And so some of us, we focus on the desires of our heart part of that verse. But if you don't delight yourself in the Lord, your desires are not going to line up with God's desires. But if you can delight in the Lord, if you can learn how to truly just be happy with God, take delight in God, man, soon your desires, God begins to mold and he begins to shape your desires. And so his desires and your desires become the same thing. So he's able to give you the desires of your heart because your heart desires what God heart desires. That was the second language. The last language you talked about last week is uh, the, the language of doors, open doors and closed doors, open doors and closed doors, right? We talked about how it takes faith sometimes to step away from a closed door. Sometimes we, we are, we get frustrated because it just seems like I want to do this, but uh, I'm just, I'm running into this, uh, this door just isn't opening. And uh, I talked about, you know, we were at a church in Knoxville. It wasn't the best fit for us. And what we were trying to do, we were trying to walk through a closed door. And we were trying to kind of force something. And then we took a step of faith and left that church and went to a church in Florida when it made zero financial sense. And we we literally wouldn't have enough to put food on the table every month. And that's all they could do at the time. And, And we learned that faith is taking the first step before God reveals his second step. And so we learned that, man, sometimes walking through an open door requires a whole lot of faith to step through that threshold. But when we step through that threshold, man, God begins to show like, man, this is the place run. This is where the anointing is. This is where God's favor is. This is where God's blessing is. And it's all because God speaks through the language of doors. Some of us were trying to walk through a closed door and some of us are too afraid to walk through an open door. But God's using these doors to speak to us and to get us to do uh, what he wants us to do. So are we all caught up? Let me see some heads nodding. Okay, great. You're like, man, you could have done that in three minutes last week. What took you so long? All right, so I got four to talk about today. So buckle up, baby. Here we go. Hey, so um, uh, there are some things in your life that are so common that you just breeze over them. Do you ever, do y'all think about this ever? I do this all the time. Every time I fly in an airplane, I'm amazed. Some of you might fly more than me, but I'm still at the point where when I fly, I'm amazed. You are sitting in a chair, 30 something thousand feet in the air going 700 miles an hour. And we have the audacity to complain that the Wi-Fi is not working. You know what I mean? Like it's just common. Flying in the air is so common that we just get mad about the dumbest thing when we're flying. Like we flew to Portland Oregon. That took people on wagons 
they would get, they'd lose legs and get whatever, what the dysentery. dysentery and, you know, all this stuff. And here I am, the Wi-Fi wasn't working on the way home and we were trying to plan some stuff out for church. And I'm like, ah, this Southwest, they came to get the Wi-Fi. I'm like, I'm thinking this is so stupid. I'm flying in a seat right now. This is amazing, right? Like for some of you, I mean, when you get home today, you're going to open the door and you're going to flip a switch and you go from your house being in darkness to just boop, light. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't even think about that. That's amazing. Not that long ago, you had to light a candle and make sure the cat didn't catch on fire and like burn the house down, you know, and like you had to make sure like it was all candle lights. You didn't have electricity or running water. But here we come home. We'll flip a switch or you'll, you'll talk to Alexa and say, Alexa, I'm home or whatever. And all of a sudden, bing, your, your whole light turns on. <laughs> We don't think about it. That's amazing, right? Like we just breeze over. It's so common. We don't even think about it anymore. Well, this next language we're going to talk about is so common. Actually, it's the most frequent dialect that God uses in scripture. But we just kind of, when we read it in the Bible, we just breeze over it. Not thinking like, this is amazing. Like, this is kind of cool. And what have I been missing out on in my whole life? Like, because I just breeze over this because it's so common in the Bible. And that's this. The next language we're going to talk about is the language of dreams. Now, some of you are like, oh boy, like, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, Well, we're going to talk about dreams a little bit. God has been using dreams and visions to speak to people since like the beginning of time. And it's something that in the Bible, we just kind of breeze over. It's like, well, really? Like dreams? We're gonna, yeah, we're going to talk about that. And, and I'll be the first to tell you, some dreams are whack, especially if you live with a pregnant person. Uh, <laughs> pregnant women have the weird, at least Stephanie did, the weirdest. She'd wake up and go, be mad at me because I've like cheated on her with somebody in a dream. And I'm like, babe, I, I did not. It was not real. It was fake. You know, like dreams get me in trouble sometimes. I didn't do anything. But it says this in the Bible. And this is Acts chapter two, when the church started. Okay. So this is like this age that we're living in right now written about that. And it says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All right. And I want you to listen to this next verse. I'm just going to get on a soapbox for a second. Your sons and daughters. Okay. Your sons and your men and and will prophesy. All right. God's poured his spirit out on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And it says this, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So God is going to be speaking to his people in this age through visions and through dreams. This is a language that God uses. In fact, he's been using this all throughout scripture. I I have a slide that you're not going to be able to read at all because it's so small, but I did that on purpose to just show you all the ways. These are not all of them. This is just the ones that I thought of. Okay. So uh, Jacob's dream in a place called Bethel. Okay. That was where the, the stairway to heaven was. Okay. So Jace, and then Joseph, his son interprets two dreams that saved two nations. That's in Genesis 37 and 41. That's when Joseph interpreted the dream for uh, the people in prison. And then he interpreted the dream for Pharaoh that the other people couldn't interpret. And he saved the nation of Israel and the nation of Egypt. All right. Uh, Jesus's family was saved by a dream that warned Joseph and Mary to flee Bethlehem and go to Egypt. So an angel shows up in a dream and says, hey, you got to get out of here. This isn't safe for you anymore. Uh, Paul had a vision that a man in Macedonia, uh, 
that a man in Macedonia that brought the gospel to Europe. So Paul has a dream of a guy in Macedonia and they meet and uh, that's how the gospel gets spread to Europe. It's in Acts 16. As a follower of Jesus, if you're not Jewish, which I don't think anybody in here is Jewish, uh, your spiritual lineage is traced back to a double vision. So Cornelius had a vision of Peter while Peter had a vision of Cornelius. And this is the reason why this church exists was because of this dream. And this dream was so crazy that God had to send it to him four different times because it sounded insane what God was asking Peter to do. But he sent this dream. And then at the end here, the whole book of Revelation is a vision. It's, it's a vision. God somehow transported John on Patmos, and John was able to, in a vision, see what was going to happen at the end of time. Now, that doesn't mean, listen to me, that does not mean that every dream that you have is as good as Scripture, okay? That doesn't mean that every dream that you have is prophetic, because we know pregnant people have weird dreams, okay? So uh, at least Stephanie, people have weird dreams. It doesn't mean everyone is like that. But make no mistake, God can speak to us this way. And God does speak. In fact, it's happened to, I've, I've had two prophetic dreams, uh, one of them recurring over time. And then I've had one vision uh, where I saw something in my spirit, in my soul, and God was speaking to me. And that's, I'm, that's something I'm not even ready to share yet. But that, that's happened to me in a time of prayer before. Um, I told you last week, and a minute ago, we were at, on staff at a church in Knoxville, and it was like, the, the way I would describe it is, it was like we were trying to fit a round peg in a square, or square peg in a round hole. Like, it just was never going to work. Um, there were some differences on a fundamental level, and, it, and not to say anything bad about that church, a great church, and God's used that church in an amazing way, um, and God used us in an amazing way there, and it was awesome, but it just wasn't a good fit for us, and a lot of that had to do with me being young, I was real mouthy, very big know-it-all, and just prideful, and nobody likes that anyway, so I, you know, I take a lot of responsibility, but it just wasn't the culture that we were supposed to be a part of, and so I told you that I got a call from another church uh, that ended up being Christ Fellowship that changed our lives. I mean, that was like the open door we were looking for. Well, what I didn't tell you last week is two weeks leading up to that phone call where Greg Reed, who, happy birthday, buddy. Uh, it's his birthday a couple days ago. Um, Greg Reed called me for two weeks. I'd had the same dream about working at this church that I had never been to before. But I had dreams. Uh, two weeks, same thing. And just in me was like, man, that's weird. So Greg calls me. And says, hey, are you interested in this job? And I said, yes. He's like, man, that's crazy. And I didn't tell him anything. And he said, the last two weeks, I just can't get you out of my mind for this. It's, it, and I'm like, at that point, I'm a Baptist. I didn't believe in this stuff, really. Like, I, you know, not the Bible, but just the Holy Spirit in the way that I do now. And I'm thinking, if I tell him about these dreams, I'm not going to get this job because that's crazy. But I, th th now I know it was the Lord. The Lord was just preparing us for what he had. And it happened through a dream. There was another time Stephanie and I had Reuben and Ellie. And I was done. I was good with having two children. You know, I didn't want any more kids because the jump from one kid to two kids is way harder than the jump from two kids to three kids. Come on, somebody, if you know what I'm talking about. It's, uh, that's the way it is. Two is harder. That jump is harder than two to three. And so we were in the thick of hard, and Steph's like, I think we should have, I don't, just don't feel like our family's done. And I'm like, you are high. There's no way. No way. Not doing it. Don't, don't come on to me now. You know, like, hey, stop it. Uh, I, never mind. I know. I do know what causes it. Unwilling to give that up. Um, but 
Uh, and so Stephanie started praying. She starts praying and uh, she's like, all right, God, help speak to us. And really, really, she probably just prayed, get a hold of Clint. Come on. Okay. Um, and so I had a dream. And I, again, I, I, this isn't normal for me. But in this dream, I dreamt, and it was, it was different. It was a prophetic dream. And in the dream, I was holding our, a baby girl, and I woke up literally that morning and said, I think you're right. I think we need to start having another kid, trying to have another kid. Boom. Got pregnant, and Lucy's here. And she's healthy, and it's great. And, and uh, it was a dream that kind of brought that out of me, that God used to soften uh, my heart. You know, I, I can't explain how God uses dreams, but he can. And I would just challenge you maybe in here before you go to bed, say, God, if, if you need to speak to me, speak to me, do it, do it however you need to do it. And it doesn't mean again, that God's in every dream. And, and sometimes those dreams are meant for you to kind of chew on. The dreams are never just for you, by the way. God doesn't function that way. If you look at any dream in scripture, it wasn't just for the person that had the dream. It was for the people around them. It affected others in a positive way or a negative way. And so we have to understand that God might be speaking to you. And that's not a selfish thing. You, you don't get to keep that for yourself. It's something to be shared with other people. So the first language is dreams. All right. Second one is this. The language of people. The language of people it says this. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore... Since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. You see, God wants you to live a free life. God wants you to live a life that is stripped free of the stuff that's going to hold you down, hold you back, keep you from everything that God has for you. And the way that God does that, the way that God has designed for you to strip off those things, to remove those things out of your life, it happens because of a thing that it calls a huge cloud of witnesses, or in other translations, a great cloud of a great crowd of witnesses. And these are people in your life that have heavily influenced you in a really big way. Okay. These are people that have influenced you. This is a parent, uh, a coach that you may have had, a teacher, um, your Sunday school teacher. I remember one of my Sunday school teacher, Miss Melita Browning, and I, she's still kicking baby. And I, she's awesome. And I just remember really loving that. And she introduced me to the Bible when I was just a young, young person. Uh, it could be even a pastor. Uh, it could be a friend or a grandparent, just somebody that left a mark on you. Have y'all had people like this in your life that you've just, like that person was special. They mean a lot to me and they really left an imprint on me. These are your crowd of witnesses. These are the people that God is using. You see, uh, God puts people in our lives and it's almost like our, our lives act like a pinball machine. And our pinball machine, God wants you to bump up against different things, right? Different people, because different people have different giftings. They have different anointings. They have different backgrounds. They have different wisdom. They have different stories. They have different pasts that they can teach you. They have different desires and interests. And you bounce off these people that God's put in your life and along your path. And sooner or later, that's rubbing off on you. And that's beginning to shape you. And God is using these people to speak into your life. That's why, come on, it's coming. Y'all get ready. All right. That's why it's so important that you get in a group. If you're not in a group, come on, get in a group. Why? Why wouldn't you go to a group? Well, it's just not what? 
No, forget about what you're actually studying in the group. You need the people there. Like you, you need the, you need the different marriages that are in this group. Like you need the different experiences that these people have had. God is wanting to use these people to speak to you. So listen, just get around some people and listen, you know, in, in the Bible, there are two books called first Timothy and second Timothy. And these are letters that Paul, uh, the apostle Paul wrote to a guy named Timothy. And we don't get like a personality profile of Timothy in the Bible, like his Myers-Briggs or like Enneagram wasn't written out in there, but we can infer some things about Timothy based on what we see. And, uh, I, you know, based on what I see in scripture, Timothy, it was more of a feeler, you know, than like a, a logical uh, thinker, right? Like he was a feeler. Any feelers in here? Come on, don't, don't be shy. I'm a feeler. I'm a feeler. Okay. Uh, here's what I mean. When Paul and him eventually parted ways and Paul kept planning churches and Timothy stayed where he was, it didn't say in the Bible that Timothy gave Paul a man hug and like a handshake and said, thank you, sir, you know, and, and left. It said that Timothy just wept and cried. It's one thing to give a man hug. It's another thing to like cry, you know, in front of another man. Like that's just a feeler does that. You know what I'm saying? And so he's, he's this feeler. In fact, he's so much of a feeler that Paul is writing to the church of Corinthians and he has to say this to the people. He says, when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. All right. Listen, my man's a little delicate. He's a feeler. Don't intimidate him. All right. So Paul is having to like tell people like, hey, take it easy on the guy. He's just doing the Lord's work like I'm trying to do, right? And so Paul is, is, has this mentoring relationship with Timothy, and Timothy starts off, and he's a soft person, and he, Paul has to write this to him in 2 Timothy. So he's already written one letter to Timothy, and so Paul, this is our, also Paul's last letter he would ever write is to Timothy, and he says these words to Timothy. He says, listen, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. He didn't give you that. That word timidity, it's the only occurrence we see it in the New Testament, and it's the inability to face danger without showing fear. Another word would be cowardice. Um, the, the picture that this word paints is it's the opposite of a martyr. So in other words, it's a person who denies their faith so that they can save their life instead of stand up for their faith knowing that they're going to lose their life. This is the type of timidity that Timothy had. And Paul is like, hey, dude, you're better than that. God didn't give you that. God gave you something different. And you know how Timothy ended up dying, by the way? He died. He was dying trying to stop a pagan, crowd, a pagan parade in the streets, by the way, and they killed him for him standing up for his faith. You see, Paul was a person in Timothy's life that spoke to him, that said, hey, God's got something better for you. He didn't only call him out, he called him up. He, he called him up to the standard that God had for him. And God was like, hey, or uh, Paul was used by God in a big way with Timothy to where Timothy could put himself in a position to hear from God through Paul. Now, my question is, do you have that in your life? Is there a person in your life that loves you enough to call you up? Is there a person in your life that you've given permission to? And this permission is not for everybody. But it, do you have a person in your life that, you have, that you've given permission to tell you the hard things? To, to say the things that you need to hear? To be a mouthpiece of, for God on your behalf, right? Like they, they need to speak the truth of God. I, I need someone in my life that's going to tell me my flies down before I get up and preach. You know what I mean? Like I, I need a person in my life that's going to say, hey, you're getting greedy. Hey, 
Watch it. Hey, don't, and, and I have those people. And they, they have permission to call me out. They have permission to take everything away from me. Like nothing, there's nothing that, that these people don't have access to in my life. And it's because I want to put myself in the position where I can hear from God. I can, I can, God can use other people to speak to me because he does it all the time. And guys, let me just tell you, your wife has this, the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit a lot of times and, and will brush it off. This has happened to me. This is probably some of our biggest fights have come from me not listening to Steph and me realizing later that she was right and it was God speaking through her. And I'm just like, well, okay. You know, but and then later I'm like, I'm so sorry, babe, you were right. And now I've just had to learn to just go, okay, baby, you're right. <laughs> you know, I just, I just got to say it. Um, but not only do we need to put ourselves in a position to listen to people, some of us need to put ourselves in the position to speak to people. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you not only need to be listening, but maybe God is wanting to use you to talk to somebody else. You send the text, right? Like you got to do these things. And so I wanted to kind of give you some ground rules. I'm going to go through these really quickly um, as to uh, ground rules when it comes to listening to God through people and speaking to God or speaking to people on behalf of God. So first one is this, no one's above rebuke. All right, so give one, even you. So give someone permission to just correct you when you need to be corrected. All right, no one's above it. All right, I'm not above it. Number two, uh, don't let criticism pierce your heart unless it passes through the filter of Scripture. We get so caught up in criticism that we let it affect us, and sometimes it doesn't pass through the filter of Scripture. There are some people that get criticized for their faith, and they're, they're getting criticized, and they, they, it's, it's easy to listen to that stuff. But really, like, I'm following what God says. It's going to pass the, the filter of Scripture. I don't care what you think. Like, you can be critical. Also, on the other side, compliments are the same thing. Don't let, don't let compliments get to you unless they pass through the filter of Scripture. The third one is this. Don't make decisions in a vacuum. You should not be making life decisions on your own. Oh, well, it just feels right. Well, talk to your, your godly friends about this. Bring it up at your small group. Talk to me or, you know, talk to Pastor Stephanie or your small group leader. Like, I don't make decisions in a vacuum for this church ever, ever. I don't. We have people in positions that we go to and we talk to and we let them speak in and, and we make decisions as a team. Now, the buck stops here. We have to make the final decision. But, you know, we listen to the people on our teams. We, we don't do it. You shouldn't either. Should you take that new job? Should you move? uproot your family. So you do like, okay, those are big decisions. Why don't we make them with some people that love you and that can speak in your life a little bit? Uh, the next one, listen long and hard before you dish out advice. Ask a lot of questions, right? A lot of us are just listening to respond instead of listening to, to understand. Ask questions. Ask. I did this last night. I spoke to a guy and I, did, I just met him last night. We had dinner with this couple and I spent a lot of time asking questions. And then God said, tell him that right now. And so boom, I, I was able, cause I was listening to speak into his life in a way that hopefully was helpful to him. Uh, always encourage before you correct, always encourage before you correct, man. Some of us, man, you know, especially with your kids or with someone in your family or whatever, there might be something you need to say to correct. We'll always encourage before you correct, right? We, we give the encouragement sandwich. We're going to start with encouragement. We're going to give the feedback then we're going to end with encouragement, okay? And then the last one is this. Tough conversations get tougher the longer you wait. 
So some of us, man, we need to have this conversation with somebody or whatever. The longer you wait, the harder it's going to be. I have a hard time uh, doing this. But guess what? Iron can't sharpen iron without some sparks flying. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes we need to hear these things. And sometimes we need to say them. And we need to say them quickly before it gets too long. All right? So that's the language of people. So we talk about dreams, people. Number three, promptings. Promptings. That's a weird word to say. Promptings. All right? So this is God's, this is, we're talking about divine timing here with promptings. This is God's timing in certain things, okay? Being at the right place at the right time. How many of you have ever been in the wrong place at the wrong time? Okay, let's <laughs> see some hands going up. I, I actually, I, I have many times, and there are typically some great stories that go along with that one right there. But there's also being in the right place at the right time. You see, in the New Testament, there's two words for time that the Bible uses. One of them is chronos time, and this isn't the evil villain, or I think there's like a comic book villain called Kronos or something. But this is talking about clock time or calendar time. It's, it's actual time, past, present, future. It's, it's minutes and hours and seconds. And this kind of time, it only moves in one direction. So it only moves forward. It doesn't go back. This, this time only progresses. It moves forward. That's the type of time that he's like, hey, be there at 530. That's chronos time. That's like a real time on a watch. It's measurable. Number two, the other one is called kairos. Y'all say kairos. kairos. And this is referring to the opportune time. Okay? I, I want to I be sure we get this. Promptings happen in kairos time. Promptings happen in kairos time. Promptings are the opportune time for you to do what God's asked you to do in the moment. All right. So it's also an archery term, right? So, um, you, you would think logic would tell you that, uh, and I don't shoot, I'm, I'm terrible at this, but when you're shooting a bow and an arrow, logic would tell you, you pull back and you shoot at the target and boom, it hits the target with enough force. We're good. Right. Um, but Kairos is a, a, a archery term that actually talks about, uh, taking everything into account before you fire the arrow. So if you're trying to shoot a target and you got to calculate, well, how far is the target? What's the wind doing right now? How much higher am I than the target? What's the drop going to be like? What's gravity going to do? Is there a gust of wind happening down, uh, downfield a little bit? Like uh, what, what? And it takes all of these things into consideration before it lets go because it, it, it knows the opportune time to shoot the arrow. Now, Kairos time is what God operates in. God operates in his time, in the opportune time. In fact, it says this in Ephesians 5.16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. That's kairos. Make the most of every kairos, like every opportunity in these evil days. We need to be looking for kairos moments. This is the moment where God is giving you a nudge and say, pay for that person behind you. Send that text message to that person right now. And I'll tell you, this has become, I, I'm not perfect at it, but this is a discipline that Steph and I have kind of started is we just, when God prompts us to do something, we just say yes. And sometimes we get to see the result of like, man, that was really neat. I'm so glad we did that. And it really helped this person. And sometimes you don't get to see it. There's been several, you know, uh, times we've gone out to eat. And we've tipped the waitress something that was a stretch for us, but we just felt prompted to do it. And this waitress has come back. This has happened countless times. Just says, you have no idea. You know, I, I just, 
my husband and I just got divorced or whatever the story is. And, and it's because we just pay attention to that Kairos time. Just that hunch right there. Boom. There's also been times where God's done something and it requires a big faith step. But I want to be, I want to, I want to know that I did my part and I don't get to see the fruit of that. There was, we saw Hamilton at TPAC a few months back. And it's Stephanie's favorite thing in the world, Hamilton. And I like it too. And we went and uh, there was a person sitting next to us that was by herself. And she was a young adult, looked like. And during the second act, I don't know what it was, the Holy Spirit say, tell her her dad's proud of her. And I'm like, this could get dicey. I know nothing about her father. Uh, I don't know. It could sound weird. Like she doesn't know me. It's creepy. And so after the show, I just try to, make small talk as we're walking out. And right before we walked away, I said, Hey, I don't know what you think about this kind of stuff, but just as that second act was going on, I felt like God wanted you to know that your dad's really proud of you. And that's all I said. And she just started crying and she said, thank you so much. And she turned around and walked away. I have no idea what came of that, or I have no idea what that was, but I know that God, in that Kairos moment, said, make the most of this opportunity. Do it now. She needs to know. And you never know. There's been times where we've been the, the beneficiary of a Kairos moment, where somebody came up and, and handed us when we were living in Florida, and we didn't make enough money, and we had a little infant at home, and, <clears throat> and someone said, hey, I just felt like God wanted me to give you this amount. It's like the perfect amount to the dollar that you need. You know, and uh, I told you the story before. We needed a car. And on the way to church one time, I said, God, we just need a car. I know, I know you know that. Sec- the first person I walked in, the second I walked in, said, do you need a car? Kairos moment. I, God operates in Kairos moments. You know, Kronos time, it's measured in minutes, but life is measured in Kairos moments. And you need to be good at discerning those. With your kids... Hey, when is this a teaching moment? And when is this a disciplinary moment? Kairos. Are you going to make the most of this opportunity, this prompting? Am I going to do that? Like, am I going to follow through with what God wants me to do? Like, it could be just a, it might be the time right now. And I don't know, but there's been times where it's happened. And I think what God is telling you today is when he gives you that prompting, obey it and don't think about it. Just obey. Just be worried about obeying. So, Bless that person financially this season. Do it. Do it. Buy that person's groceries behind you that looks like they're struggling, or maybe not. God just might be telling you to bless somebody. Send that text message. Encourage that person. Man, they're just on my heart. Well, send a text. Man, I'm thinking about you today. I hope you're doing great. You're a great. I did this the other day to a guy. I just said, hey. You're a great dad. You're a great pastor. You're a great leader, man. You're, you're awesome. I just want you to know that. Make the phone call. Just pick up the phone. and I, This, again, happens to me all the time in the car. I get bored in the car. I just call people. And sometimes they don't answer. Sometimes they do. And a lot of times it's divine appointments, right? Like, write the letter. Give that gift this season. Whatever it is, follow the prompting of God. Trust that it's from Him. And watch what God does. It'll blow you away. It'll blow you away. I promise. It's amazing. All right, last one we're going to talk about. Good night. I'm so behind. All right. Y'all need to listen faster, okay? <laughs> <sighs> All right, last one we're going to talk about is this, pain. 
It's the hardest one to talk about, pain. It says this, Jeremiah chapter 33. This is what the Lord says. You've said this is a desolate land where people and animals have all disappeared. Sounds like it's the worst. Sounds like a lot of pain. Yet, in the empty streets of Jerusalem and Judah's other towns, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and laughter. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will be heard again, along with the joyous songs of people bringing thanksgiving offerings to the Lord. They'll sing, give thanks to the Lord of heaven's armies, for the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. For I will restore the prosperity of this land and what was in the past, says the Lord. Some of you, you're in the top part of that verse. Man, it just feels empty in your life. You're experiencing a lot of pain. And I just want to tell you today, first of all, you're not going to stay there forever. God can redeem anything, and he wants to redeem what you're going through. You're feeling pain, but, but can't, before we go any further, can I just make a suggestion? I think that pain can be a beautiful gift that God gives us. Because you can't ignore pain. Like, this is, the, this is like one of the only languages that God uses that you cannot ignore. You can't ignore it. Like, I remember um, when I was a senior in high school, I really liked, this is before we started dating, I really liked Stephanie a lot. And I was ready to just, I was ready to go. You know, like, hey, she's mine. I'm going to ask her. I'm going to do this. And I just, and so I turned it on. I, I turned on the riz, as the youngins say. And uh, is that the right word? Yeah. Is it? Right. Well, I turned it on, big time. And so what I did was, she had an awesome basement in her house, huge TV sound system down there. And so I'm like, I'm going to invite a bunch of our friends over to her house and her basement. It's just yeah, a lot of riz, right? Like, and so she didn't mind. So we had to watch American Idol a long time ago. So we had all these people come over to their house. We're watching American Idol. But my plan the whole time was to just wait for everyone to leave. And I was going to stay behind and just, you know, how you doing? You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> say, hey, you know you want this. You know, like, you can't, this is great. Uh, we're going to be married one day. Do you realize this? And I was just going to stay behind and, like, just hang out, just she and I. And uh, I remember everyone left about five minutes after everyone left. I didn't even get time to turn it on, you know. All of a sudden, it felt like I got shot in the stomach. And I'm like, seriously? Like, right now? This is going to happen right now? And uh, I realized, like, this pain wasn't going away. And so I'm like, you know, I've had the best time. I think I got to go. You know, I'm like sitting there trying to hold it together. I get in the car. I'm just screaming. It hurts so bad. I call my mom and dad. I'm like, I need to go to the hospital like right now. Something's wrong. So I go to the hospital and I thankfully uh, found out my appendix was rupturing. And so they took my appendix out the next day. Good news is. She was the only person that came to visit me other than like my family. And that's when our relationship started, by the way, it was in that hospital room. So come on, give the Lord a hand, somebody. Let's go. But thank God for that pain in my stomach. If I would have ignored that pain, my body could have gone septic and I could have died. That's a big deal, right? Like you got to address these things. Thank God for pain. Nothing gets your full attention like pain. Nothing speaks louder than pain. You know, one of the most uh, terrible things we walked through in the early stages of our marriage was a miscarriage. And a lot of women have walked through this and families have walked through this. And it's painful. It's especially for the mom. Like, it's just so painful. That was the best thing. that Like, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. That's the best thing, though, that's ever happened to our marriage. 
because it forced us to be on the same team. We were, our first year of marriage was the worst. Like we fought all the time over dumb stuff and this miscarriage, God used that pain to speak to us and say, hey, y'all can't do this marriage thing like you're doing it right now. He didn't cause it. I don't believe God causes pain like this, but he redeems it. And God may have not caused your pain, but he's wanting to redeem it. Redeem it. My, my prayer for you, listen, is not that you would live a pain-free life. That's not what my prayer is. My prayer would be that you would learn to discern God's loving voice in the midst of your pain. What is he trying to show you? What is he trying to do differently in you? And how can you be better on the other side of this? Listen, you can get through just about anything when you have somebody to kind of go through it with and when you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And some of you, you're having a hard time seeing the light right now at the end of the tunnel. And I just want you to know there is one. It's not a train. It's the end of this painful season you're going through. But I want to encourage you with this today. Don't be so focused on getting out of your difficult circumstances that you don't get anything out of them. I mean, you need to use this pain and wring it out and just get every ounce of what God wants for you out of this season. Don't, don't be so focused on trying to get out of the pain. But, but worried about what can I get out of it? What, what can, what can, what, what's beneficial in here for me? Now, even Jesus on the cross experienced pain. And it wasn't just physical pain. At one point he said, my God, like, Dad, like, why have you turned your back on me? Why, why have you? And it was in that moment that God was the closest to fulfilling his purpose on earth. Maybe in the midst of your pain, you're the closest you've ever been to fulfilling what God's called you to do. Because God has a way of taking our pain and using it as a platform to serve other people and to help other people. Maybe God wants to do that with your pain. But too often we get so focused on what's wrong in your situation that you forget that God might be trying to speak to you. And so we have to make a discipline of just worshiping God when we're in pain. And saying, God, I, don't, I, I just trust you. I'm still going to worship you. You're still good. You're still for me. You're still in my corner. You're still with me. God, you are carrying me. And you need to learn how to worship because, listen, don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Because what's wrong with you is just a circumstance that you're going through. But man, God is still good. God is still in the business of restoring things and, and getting you through things. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, the most excruciating pain, it wasn't produced by the cat of nine tails, the, the whip. It wasn't produced by the seven inch spikes that went into his hands and his feet. The most excruciating pain was the full weight of sin resting on his sinless shoulders. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And the thing that sustained him was you. His love for you kept him there. Our sin put him there, but his love for us kept him there. And I just want you to know, you are worth the cross of Christ. 
And if he was willing to hang on the cross for you, we can certainly carry ours. And sometimes it's a painful thing. But God may be looking at you and saying, just look at what I'm trying to do. Just, just look at how I'm trying to speak to you right now. Come on, I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here today and uh, you would just be honest and say, Clint, I, there's some pain just in my life right now that uh, I, I just want you to pray that we would hear God's voice in the midst of this pain. I just want you to raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. No one's perfect in here. We're going through some pain. It's okay. God, you see the hands up right now. You know the pain. You know the, the, the thing that's breaking their heart. God, help them remember that you are near to the brokenhearted. God, open their ears. Help them understand what you're speaking to them in the midst of this pain. And sometimes what you're speaking, it's not fun to hear. But God, help us hear it anyway and change. Give us the boldness to change, God. Help us with this. God, speak to us. Use this pain. You know, some people in here, uh, I'm talking about the cross and what Jesus did for you. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and God is speaking to you right now saying, hey, it's time to start that relationship with me. It's time to take that step and let's start a relationship together. If that's you, I just want to invite you to pray this prayer. You can say, dear God, I need you. I can't do this on my own, but you lived a perfect life. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin, and you rose again on the third day. And in the best way I know how, I will live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.